This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. That is not the way. From the southernmost point of dawn to the lands of always winter, west of west, and what is under the shadows in the east, it's all here and we are here for Casterly Talk. I'm Cat Napsuck for another edition of the show that takes a fun, sometimes deep, but always fun look at World of Ice and Fire. That's HBO's Game of Thrones. That's a song of ice and fire. That's Fire and Blood. That's the prequel series and a lot more. We're going to be doing some dives into historical moments, into characters. There's a lot to discuss, a lot to talk about, a lot to celebrate of Game of Thrones and the World of Ice and Fire, but I can't always do that alone. I'll tell you today, I had Rachel Cushing in, in my house today, but she was dropping off something, and we couldn't record. We're both so busy getting ready for Comic-Con, um, but I, I did want to make time to bring this fellow back to the show from the great white north beyond our own wall. Thomas Rislin is here. We can call him Sir Thomas at all. How you doing, Thomas? I'm doing wonderful, Ken. Thank you so much for having me back on. We got a little bit of uh, exciting news that teased us that we get to talk about today. Ooh, you know, we kept saying when the decision to keep Casterly Talk going, I mean, Lon Harris creates this name for a show. We can't let it go away. So it's like, well, you know, we'll start talking about the prequel series. I can't believe we're, we're I think we're starting to ramp up. They're shooting now. We're going to start getting things, uh, whether it's official or not. I don't like to look at the leaks, but things are going to start emerging. And, Thomas, this past week, kind of out of nowhere, Entertainment Weekly sat down with George R. R. Martin, and we got a tease, my friend. We certainly did. You know, we got uh, not a whole lot, but enough to keep us going. And like you said, you know, maybe this is the beginning of the floodgates. Maybe we're about to start seeing some more rollout. So. Now, off air, Thomas, and you and I were uh, talking, you, you had a... Um, a pretty good, I'll call it a pretty good bet if you were making bets. We got Comic-Con coming up, San Diego Comic-Con, the granddaddy of them all, where Game of Thrones has always been a star. The show, the cast members, uh, I, I've met a lot of them. I've, I've uh, partied with a couple of them. I've, I've, seen, I've stayed at the same hotel because they are always there. Game of Thrones and San Diego Comic-Con have kind of gone hand in hand, and they're going to have some sort of presence there. Thomas, you're saying, what if we get some information at the end of this panel? Yeah, you know, this this reunion panel is really exciting, I think, for all of us fans. But that that possibility of maybe Jane Goldman or even George himself walking out and presenting, maybe it's some concept art or maybe it's even the clip. Who knows? But it, it's it's a hard thing to guess what we might get. I think we're just hoping we might get something. What's interesting about this possibility, and again, uh, Thomas and I are, to borrow a phrase from our Force Center uh, friends, uh, Joseph Grimshaw, Jennifer Lander, oh, and myself, that's weird, um, speculate responsibly, which means, hey, speculate, have fun, go wild, but write it in. Don't build up expectations that can't be met. I, I, I know the show, it's it's two separate teams. It's HBO and George R. R. Martin, but, you know, we got Jane Goldman putting together the show and the pilot. It's not Dan and David. It's not everyone, uh, you know, we're, we're different time period. But the big question I've had, Thomas, and, and before we get into some of these points is, you know, is it, is it is is it the same world or is it book world? Is it a continuation of that? And and, and but it, will it live in that same universe that the show lives in? 
if 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 they're at this panel, this reunion panel, Thomas, and and they walk out of the end and go, yeah, hey, look, it's definitely the same. That, that's going to be extra exciting, right? Yeah, and I think it almost, to some extent, it almost would have to be. Um, we've been told that that this series is going to take place roughly five thousand years before the events of the main series. Mm-hmm. And, and if we look at where the long night actually falls and granted HBO is kind of slapping George in the wrist saying, don't, don't call it the long night. Um, that being said, you know, the long night was said to have taken place roughly 8,000 years before the events of that series. So there's like a 3000 year discrepancy there. So it makes me wonder if 5,000 years, maybe that's when it happened in the show. Yeah. And, and George has talked about the kind of the, the moving goalposts of history within his world and how he's built in this like, well, we don't know. There was some stuff written on stones or some maesters transcribed some things, maybe left some stuff out. So I've always been excited by the possibility of, of George and, and Jane Goldman and her team kind of getting together to answer maybe more of his history. But yeah, you're right. You might have just said it. This could be the show's history, which I I, I kind of like that idea uh, of, of it being making sure it's connected more to the show's history. Yeah, that's really important for me. You know, I, I think even for us book readers, there's a lot of joy in having two versions of the story. I know you talked mm-hmm. about this last week. Douglas Adams was very, very fond of redoing his own work, mm-hmm. but he always wanted it to be different. And George is very similar. He actually said a very similar thing on the Maltons podcast. Mm. Uh, so it's quite interesting to to look at this. I really hope we are going to get a, a show history here because I think diving into book history and having two separate continuities within the same property could really uh, make things problematic as far as television shows go. Absolutely. Let's take a look into, uh, there's five points that they kind of brought up here in this Entertainment Weekly article uh, put together and written by James Hibbert, so we'll give him some credit because uh, we are certainly just talking about this wonderful little piece of work here. We do know that the pilot pilot is currently filming in Northern Ireland. Jane Goldman at the helm there. That itself, that's not one of the five points, Thomas, but I get this way with Star Wars. Do you get this way with Game of Thrones uh, where, like, oh my gosh, they're making the next thing, the next part of the story, and I can't, I'm just so excited, and, and it's crazy that it's happening now. Do you kind of get the, uh, am I the only one gets these weird nerd chills yeah I, I definitely get the nerd chills and i'm almost shocked that we're getting um such a such a deep nerd dive into this world immediately after so soon uh right. it, it's mildly surprising but also very very exciting and i definitely do get the excitement of what are we looking at you know what are they filming up in northern ireland there we kind of know what they've used it for in the past but i mean movie magic or tv magic who knows what they're gonna do Absolutely. Here we go. Uh, reading from the points here. West, Westeros is divided into roughly 100 kingdoms in the prequel. And this is Martin himself. I'm reading directly from the article here. We talk about the seven kingdoms of Westeros. There were seven kingdoms at the time of Aegon's conquest, uh, which, as we know, roughly, uh, we got about 300 years before the events of Game of Thrones. But if you go back further, there are nine kingdoms and 12 kingdoms, and eventually you get back to where there are 100 kingdoms, petty kingdoms, and that's the era we're talking about here. So while the Seven Kingdoms uh, maintain some degree of order, Thomas, uh, it sounds like uh, um, we got possibilities for a lot more uh, or, or grander scale political intrigue and power plays. What do you think about all that? I, I think I think we're also looking at some added chaos and conflict. You know, going back that far without uh, without being united under one king and and all of the like you said, hundreds of kingdoms. Uh, we're talking about many more wars playing out on smaller scales, like small battles playing out all over the place almost all the time. Uh, we're talking about, you know, the kings of the rivers and hills, which, you know, House mm-hmm. Mud, House Fisher, depending on where this falls. Yeah. But this is a very feudal, uh, constantly influx state in Westeros in this time period. Whereas, again, you know, we're familiar with this 
even though it is very hectic and very politically charged, the world of Westeros we've been introduced to with the Game of Thrones series has been a little more controlled, like the article mm. says, and a little more um, focused a little bit. Yeah, yeah, focused. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? So and we know and we're talking about it here in a second. It's one of the points here. The specter of the White Walkers or the others uh, are, are absolutely going to be over the show. But I like what you're talking about, Thomas, because uh, I, I get this a lot. And again, I always make it's easy to make the uh, comparisons to Star Wars. It's, it's totally different, but it's these two big properties I love. Uh, when you look at things before even the prequel, some of these stories, I feel they're all great and they're insight into characters we love. But unless you're talking about Old Republic thousands of years ago, Jedi, Sith, the other stuff always seems to be, it's a band of pirates. It's a it's a criminal syndicate. And those are great stories, but they lack, to me, the big, giant rebellion versus the Empire, separatists versus the Republic. So here in Game of Thrones, I think you're right. We're not, we don't just have pirates coming to raid shores. We've got kingdoms. We've got houses fighting each other and, and, and jockeying for position. And that, that gives me hope that there's going to be a lot of stories to tell. Yeah. And I think, you know, the idea of kind of pirates and that kind of stuff in Star Wars, I think the reason that it's not the same as, as resistance first order rebellion empire is that there isn't the same impact. You know, it's not felt across the galaxy or in this, in this case, across the known world. Whereas, whereas I think we're going to see a little bit of that where it's not affecting so much of the known world. We're not jumping from continent to continent. We're seeing these small feuds play out and resolve within Westeros to kind of begin shaping up to the Westeros we are somewhat familiar with. Yeah, because this period of time, we've talked about uh, this this age of heroes. I mean, that spans, that isn't like 20 years. <laughs> this thousands. Spans thousands, exactly. So it's like, when does it fall? And do we get some of those big uh, answers to what part of the legends are true, what part aren't? Uh, how much of it's magic, all these wonderful things. But I, I like that for those who fell in love with Game of Thrones, HBO's Game of Thrones, uh, because of the politics, because of the intrigue, because of the whispers and rumors in, in courtyards and, and, and the power, the chess pieces being moved, you're going to have a lot of that if that's what you love, right? You know? Yeah. And, and you know, I think for all Game of Thrones fans, that's definitely a part of what drew most of us in. There's there's a lot of intrigue. There's, there's a lot of... Um, I mean, war being played out in rooms over glasses of wine, really. Right. Yes, that's, that's such an interesting concept that you can sit two highly intelligent people down and solve a conflict of tens of thousands of people right. in a matter of minutes. Love that. But there are uh, going to be familiar names, uh, at least house names, and creatures. Uh, we know, uh, this is, I'm reading again from the article, uh, from George R. R. Martin himself. He says, the Starks will definitely be there. While much has been made about the fact that prequel uh, predates dragons, that doesn't mean there won't be creatures. That's actually from Entertainment Weekly, that last line. George goes on to say, obviously the White Walkers are here, or as they're called in my books, the others, and that will be an aspect of it. There are things like direwolves and mammoths. So, Breaking that down, Thomas. How stark. Not a surprise. Uh, it makes sense, again, when you're talking about the show, to the casual fan, and I'm talking about the people who do love the show and have watched it a couple times but haven't touched the books and the maps, and maybe they don't listen to Casually Talk yet. These are the people that are going to be like, oh, a new Game of Thrones series, it's got Starks. I'm at least there for that. I think that's not a surprise, but it's valuable. Yeah, I agreed. And, and you know, adding direwolves doesn't hurt at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, the fact that they've said creatures, and I know that's from the article, not from George's quote, uh, that also makes me think of things like ice spiders and, you know, maybe mm-hmm. more giant whites and maybe yeah. maybe some of the things that we've 
been hinted at in the books. We maybe we might see some of those creatures come to life on screen. Maybe we just go back to old Nan stories, both book and show, and start run, making a checklist of, of yeah, things old Nan said. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be the, the, case. Other, the other thing with the White Walkers here that I find interesting is we know we know they're being included. Mm-hmm. And the Long Night, where do you actually think the Long Night's going to fall into this story? That's the hardest part I'm having with this. Uh, yeah, and, and and yeah, let's dive into that because we got the we got the mammoths here. We got this kind of you know. Hopefully, I, I'm on on board for your ice spiders uh, talk there. Uh, yeah, uh, does it? It makes sense to me from afar, but this I, I never like to be right because I want them to surprise me. I want the creators to surpass my own thoughts and expectations. It, the fact that this might build to the long night always made sense to me, but now coming out of the long night and how maybe it's also a little bit about how we bury this kind of truth and run away from it so that the fact we, you know, when you sync it up to Game of Thrones, the fact that everyone's like, oh, that didn't happen. Like, how do we get to that point? Maybe it, maybe it's the other way around. You know, it starts with the long night. Well, and I have this this kind of vision that plays out in my head, this cold open, much like the cold open we get in the pilot of the main series with, you know, uh, Garrett and Will and blanking on the yeah. third dude's name. Uh, go, Raymer uh, Royce. Yeah, Raymer Royce. Raymer Royce, yeah. Uh, go, go north, to, and they end up bumping into the, the White Walkers and the Whites. Yeah. I wonder if maybe the, the cold open of this prequel could be something along the lines of the end of the long night. Ah, Interesting. Yeah, I could I could dig that. And that's and I, I had never thought about that till I read this article um, of of it just, again, seems seems um, seems like, hey, let's build to it. But that would be too similar, I think, to what we just experienced for eight seasons. Politics, power, fighting and the specter of, of a, a supernatural threat. But what you just talked about, Thomas. Imagine we start with this big battle. We start with the Age of Heroes. Uh, uh, this kind of beginning here. That that's I'm I'm now I'm creating unhealthy expectations for wanting that. <laughs> and so am I. I mean, Jamie. It's hard to to ignore the resemblance too between uh, Jamie Campbell Bower and um, Vladimir Furtick, the guy who plays the Night King. Right. It's very hard to ignore that as well. So when you see things like this, and you, I mean, you kind of have to assume we're gonna see. I know we talked about this previously, but you kind of have to assume we're going to see something about the Night King. If this is all going to tie in yeah. in that way, that would kind of be the one character you'd expect to make the tie in. Especially, again, tying it to that show world. This is why I'm, I'm more and more on board for that. Let George answer some of the uh, questions about, you know, the, the Night's King, the, the, you know, the 13th Lord Commander, the Night's Watch, going north and marrying a woman of blue eyes. That's, that's something else to me. And that's, and that's, something I want answers for and I'm hoping to get soon in books, but I, I like this idea of George getting to answer with Jane Goldman. Hey, uh, the guy we saw on this show, how did that happen? We know how it begun, but what happens there? Like a younger version I, and, and filling out his backstory. Uh, yeah. It's kind of intriguing. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's some, there's some interest for me too, in the character of the last hero and you know how mm-hmm. they may use that with this. I mean, mm-hmm. that's well before or sorry, well after and towards the end of the long night, but it makes me wonder if maybe they're going to tie together the character of the Night King and his creation along with that story of the last hero. Mm. Mm. So there's some possibility for that as well. Absolutely. And our third point here. All right. We got House Stark, but another popular house that, hey, I'm one of the people that loves them. Uh, not going to be there. At least not the beginning. There will, uh, point three, there will not be any Lannisters, at least not at first. 
Um, the prequel uh, predates the rise of the Lannister family. Uh, George Martin says the Lannisters aren't there yet, but Casterly Rock is certainly there. It's, it's like the Rock of Gibraltar. Uh, it's actually occupied by the Casterlys, for whom it's still named after in the time of Game of Thrones. Uh, so, as we know, uh, Land the Clever uh, swindled uh, the Casterlys out of Casterly Rock. So that would be, we've talked about wanting to see that. It would make sense, Thomas, then, that we start with no House Lannister as we know it. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many versions of the mm-hmm. land story. There's the most common, you know, where he kind of sneaks in and, and deceives everybody. But there's also three or four other potential ways that, that story actually played out in the history of this world. Mm-hmm. So it's another one of these things where George kind of gets to pick from a hat and say, oh, you know, maybe go for this. And, and you know, maybe Jane Goldman thinks that's a great idea and they run with it. I think to ignore land mm-hmm. um, in this series would be a mistake. To be honest, that story is one of the most intriguing, I think, especially as a prequel. You know, Casterly Rock is something that Mm. most watchers are familiar with the name and know what it is. Yeah, because if if you're trying to get some of these histories and we got the, you know, the continuing story of House Stark, which goes, you know, all all, all the way back to the first men and all that kind of stuff. But then now if you're going to start doing a checklist of the houses and how they began uh, the, the like you said land the clever that's probably one of the more interesting ones i think uh you know or sparathian uh, well actually that's with aegon excuse me but uh, uh the the house sparathians began uh, beginning and and uh out of uh of uh everything going on in storms end that's interesting very interesting but it's very potentially magical if any of it's true <laughs> Yeah, and you know, there's some some chance for conflict too with mm-hmm. the, the king of the king of the river or river yep. king, sorry, and and the king of the stormlands at that time. So if we could potentially see that play out in a big way as well, yeah, and that could that could that could emerge. And it's funny, you know, we look at the the list of uh, even more than just the list, but the pictures of those cast, and you start going, oh, Lannister Stark. This is, and, and and if if we don't have Lannisters up front, that's that's intriguing to me. At least, at least in the form of House Lannister, maybe maybe Land the Clever is there early on at the end of season one. We and we're waiting for the story to happen. Uh, uh, and I like what you said too, Thomas. Is if, if, again going to some stuff I said before of George getting to not just him, but getting to help answer his own histories and saying this is what really happened. That's intriguing. Yeah, and you know, there's also some interest around the idea of land. For me, and if they're creating you know a show history with this and going back, and it's directly a show prequel, I think there's some interest for me in maybe doing a bit of um, a history switch here. Maybe Naomi Watts is actually the land type character, mm. right? And maybe mm. maybe this world that has become so dependent on the opinions of men mm. has essentially rewritten history to say, no, no, this was this was a man named Lan who did all of these things. I like that kind of idea. I, I like that. Oh, we're creating these expectations, Thomas. We got to be careful sorry. here. <laughs> I know, no, but it's intriguing. It's part of the fun of this, obviously. And I actually, I really love this point. I love this point when uh, you hear a new Star Wars project announced, or you know the next chapter of the saga is uh, in, in an early stage because we don't know nothing. I love seeing a good trailer. I love seeing shots of what's coming, but I love this little period of time where we know it exists, but we know nothing, and and that's part of the fun of being a fan. And so you can see Naomi Watts, and then that inspires some kind of story in your mind. Yeah, and I I love being wrong. You know, we said this earlier as well, but I love being wrong. Every time I make a prediction, (laughs) I'm really hoping it's not going to be true. This is one of the only areas of life, yeah, that I love to be wrong. I'm like, yeah, there's some real joy there, right? (laughs) We talk about Naomi Watts, and, and obviously she's cast. There's a lot of uh, newer names, unknown names, and names that we're starting to know. Uh, we obviously know Naomi Watts. Uh, Naomi Aki, who's going to be in Star Wars Episode Nine, uh, and Denise uh, Go, our, 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 our Gao, our Go, I say Go, because uh, Summer to Van Gogh there. Um, yep. 
they are uh, it's been kind of this uh, this is what the article is kind of reinforcing that HBO's early on has kind of suggested that the, these uh, female characters female performers are, are going to be the leads um, but that is uh, not necessarily true according to George R. R. Martin he, he reminds us that uh, as you know Game of Thrones we, we never even nominated anybody for lead actress or lead actor during the award season until recently it was always for supporting categories but the show is very much an ensemble and I think that will be true for this show too we don't have leads uh, so much as a large ensemble cast and that makes sense on a lot of, a lot of levels too where season one and two of Game of Thrones, you are introducing a lot of characters before a lot of the main ones die off. You obviously got Sean Bean as Ned Stark, and he was on the posters for a reason. Probably it's like, hey, Boromir and 006, they're uh, Trevelyan. He's in this one. Come on, watch it. Um, you're, I think you're going to see that with Naomi Watts, but I, I understand what George is saying, that at least early on, until you start paring down the characters as people start going away and dying, uh, I think it needs to be an ensemble. It makes it more powerful. Yeah, and I think it also reflects the world that it's set in. You know, with a Game of Thrones or Game of Thrones the series, um, it's kind of it jumps around like that in the first season. We new watchers have a hard time kind of grasping who the characters are because there's mm. so many characters and places to visit. Yeah, that's not going to be lessened by this pre. I think it. You know, so I think you're right. I think it's going to be somewhat. I guess maybe worse is the word for, again, that casual fan. I'm not, I'm not using that as kind of a snide comment or description of, of someone, but just like, I love Game of Thrones. I own some Funko Pops. Uh, I've seen all the seasons two or three times. Uh, you, But you might not know the rich history, and this is your opportunity to. But yeah, you're going to suddenly, a hundred or so, even 12 petty kingdoms. It's going to bring a lot of new players to the front. And I think we're I think we're going to hear that same thing again of, Whose story is this? Who's that? What happens to them? I need to know. Yeah. And then I guess I guess the flip side is that it could always be maybe they are purposely going smaller. And maybe even Mm -hmm. although there is, you know, 100 or so these smaller petty kings and petty kingdoms, maybe we're going to see it really focus on the ideals and goals of of a couple. Mm. Yeah, I I think you need that. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Sorry, I cut you off there. No worries. No worries. Never cut off a Canadian in conversation. It's not polite. (laughs) No, you get too many apologies back. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, no, I, I agree with that too. Where, yeah, obviously it's going to focus on because I, I, I feel uh, Game of Thrones in the end seemed to be House Stark, House Lannister, House Targaryen. That's eh, making us no no great insight there. But going back to season one, when even I was still not as familiar with the story, it seemed this this is this is all about House Stark. Uh, now that isn't hundred percent correct. But I'm just saying from someone who was watching it back then, it was like, oh, this is what happens to the Stark family. In the end, uh, the, the, there's a lot of, you know, the, the, the house that kind of remained is, is the Starks. But, you know what I mean? Like along the way, all these other houses and characters and, and, and quests become uh, important and move to the forefront. But I think early on, there was so much going on. I just had to naturally focus on these characters I was spending a lot of time with. Yeah, and I think that's natural. You know, I think for all of us, the more characters or the characters we spend the most time with are going to be the ones we tend to gravitate towards. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's some exceptions to that, but that's that's typically how things are written. You know, you if you had to pick a protagonist for Game of Thrones, you would probably choose John or Danny, depending on who you prefer. Right. Right. And, and I think that's fair, but it also, yeah. you know, there, you could pick probably a dozen other protagonists. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Song of Ice and Fire. Uh, that would mean John and Danny to some here. Final point here, Thomas. The show might get a slightly different title than the one you're expecting. We have heard 
and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, it was George that kind of suggested it, that The Long Night would be the title of the, ep- uh, of, of not the episode, but the show. We, of course, know we got The Long Night episode in Season 8 of Game of Thrones. So George is saying uh, that's not necessarily the case, uh, that long, The Long Night remains his preferred title, which I think does give a clue to what uh, will be happening in the show, at least at some point, like we were talking about earlier. Uh, but he said, I heard a suggestion to be called The Longest Night, which is a variant I wouldn't mind. That would be pretty good. Sometimes it's hard to tell, much like a Mark Hamill tweet, if George is joking or not. So uh, just going off, though, if he is thinking, you know, he has put that out there, that The Long Night would be his preferred title. Uh, it, it just That makes a lot of sense. Do, does, do either of those work for you, though? The Longest Night does not work for me at this point doesn't matter i'll watch whatever they call it they could call it uh, a dire wolf and mammoth show i'm there but what do you think about those titles the longest night is immediately in my mind i'm like okay they just went bigger mm. you know yeah. the long night i think it would fit but to be honest i don't think we've actually seen what the title's going to be i know there was that floating around the uh, the working title of blood moon and mm. i think that's a working title and nothing more um, yeah. but again, you know, could be very wrong. The longest night would not work for me. I just, I feel like it's just blatantly trying to make something bigger than the last. And with that episode, uh, 803 being titled the long night, if they're going to do the long night again, there almost needs to be some sort of symmetry there. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that's a, that's also a hard sell. Cause then when you're, when you're discussing the long night or even Googling it, if you Google game of Thrones, the long night, yeah. are you going to come up with the episode or the show? Yeah. Oh, right? you got this creates another issue there as well, right? You got to worry about SEO. You got to worry <laughs> about that, kids. Uh, when you're setting up your shows and your podcasts and everything, search engine optimize your titles. I I agree with you. And the longest night sounds like uh, a very good crime thriller set in the '60s and uh, in, yes. in, in the in the deep south. You know, <laughs> like uh, yeah. uh, and blood, blood moon's good. Like they'll find the right title, whatever it is. Um, it, it, it's Game of Thrones couldn't have been uh, a more perfect title, and, and obviously you're taking it from the from you know a choice of several books. A cla- HBO's A Clash of Kings, so, you know, obviously that just uh, is a certain p- period of time within the story. But Game of Thrones, what a perfect title! That's it's going to be hard to surpass that. It's going to be a yeah, hard. that's a really hard one to beat. Uh, like you said, you know, the following books have great titles. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are, they are very reflective of the story they tell and the time period they fall within. Yeah. Whereas the Game of Thrones is kind of an all-encompassing, you know, it is a Game of Thrones. The line is used all the way to the very end. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I always you got to do the you got to do the test. You got to do the that 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 HBO the the static. And now HBO's <laughs> Mammoths and Direwolves. It's just you got to keep testing it. And find the one that works. HBO's Blood Moon. Like, oh, we got oh the vampires are back. Like, uh, you got it's it's a it's a tough one. Luckily though, Thomas, people with a lot more zeros in their paychecks are going to be the ones deciding the important marketing things like titles. Yes, I'm okay to just sit back and find out what happens. <laughs> uh, Thomas, uh, we're going to take a little break um, and come back and answer some fun calls, including what kind of sigil we would have, and we've got a. Uh, a correspondent calling in from Con of Thrones. Uh, stick around. Uh, we'll be right back here on Casterly Talk. Mm-hmm. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back here on Casterly Talk. It's the 25th episode of Casterly Talk. Of course, we had like 190 or so episodes of Daily Thrones, and one of my regular callers back then is now one of the personalities on the show. He's still with us here after the break, Thomas Rizzling. How you doing, Thomas? You hanging in up there? I'm doing great. Yeah, you know, it's 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 we're lucky up here in the Great White North. It's actually not that bad today. It's pretty sunny. Good, good. Sunny and what? Uh, uh, 30 degrees and uh, my degrees? What is it? <laughs> I think we're about 25 in Celsius, so somewhere somewhere mid mid 80s mark, I think. Oh, okay, similar to what I'm dealing in. Beautiful Burbank right now. Yeah. All right, we uh, have the ability to take these messages, messages. from yeah you out there in uh, Anchorland. If you want to uh, contact us here at. Uh, uh, Casterly Talk, you just go to the Anchor app, uh, which is easy. You just do it on your phone. You can go on the desktop, and you can leave a message. And you've got about 59 seconds. Get it in. Get your point across. Have some fun with it. Uh, we have put a call last week, uh, the solo episode, and I put a call out for what-ifs based off some stuff uh, we're talking about on the show. Uh, and what if this happened? And what if uh, what would happen after that? Kind of the butterfly effect. And we got some great calls. I got some in the hopper now. Uh, so if you don't uh, hear those today, I'm going to hold those off a little bit and maybe get a little more. And next week, I'm going to have to uh, pre-tape an episode real early because I'm heading down to San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, I think uh, that's going to be fun next week. But I got Thomas here now, so I do want to take some calls. And we got a couple Thomas here. First, I'm going to take this one from our, like I said, I. Uh, a, a correspondent. We got a correspondent live on the floor. Well, not live, but it's Mark from Mark Talk. He's attending Con of Thrones in Nashville, and let's hear what he's got to say. Hey, Ken and all the Casterly Talk people. This is your friend Mark from Mark Talk coming to you live from Con of Thrones in Nashville. And it is just as fun and crazy as you can probably imagine. A lot of cosplayers, a lot of interesting games, a lot of cool surprises and guests here. And Ken, I guess I just wanted to put to you, what is something you would like to see if you were to attend a Game of Thrones uh, style convention. I'm not sure if you've been to them before, but I know you have been to many conventions in your day. So what would you specifically want if you were going to go to a Game of Thrones convention? Lots of love to you. I'm representing you over here in Nashville. All right. I love that call from Mark. Uh, Mark, someone used to call him Daily Thrones as well. Check out his show, Mark Talk, here on Anchor. I, I love that he's representing us out there because I always, I'll be honest, I always, I don't know about you, Thomas, I always forget about Con of Thrones. As, as do I, you know, it's relatively small, yeah, um, yeah. but it, it, it always yields some great news and great clips and stuff like that. So it's always fun to kind of keep tabs on. Yeah, I, I, def- I, I, I definitely want to uh, get there. Uh, I plan on it one day. Just want to. It's it's this year. It's so it's so close to San Diego Comic Con. It's just that's a hard sell for a lot of people. But to, to Mark's question, if I was to go to not necessarily Con of Thrones, but just like a a new Game of Thrones con, like what one? I 
I am not a huge fan of panels. So some of them are really fun. I've, I've hosted panels. I hope to host more. They're, they're, they're interesting, and there's a way to make them work. But a lot of panels aren't overly entertaining, overly insightful. They're just some people who are uncomfortable <laughs> being in front of microphones, and that includes some big actors uh, sitting there uh, answering Q&A questions that sometimes they just can't answer or don't have the answers for or don't want to answer. I'm not a huge fan of panels. So I, if I was to go to a, a Con of Thrones or their, my dream kind of Game of Thrones related thing, I want a lot of interactive things. Give me some, not just cosplay, but I want like uh, uh, the tourney for uh, the hand with Ned Stark in honor of Ned Stark. Act that out. I want people jousting. I know my, one of my friends, Jay, he's a, he's a professional jouster. I want him up pretending to be the mountain. You know, I want, I want to experience it almost as if it's a renaissance fair. Uh, let's let's get into the world. I, you know, I don't necessarily have to put on a coat of armor and, and walk around, but I want to feel almost like we got with Galaxy's Edge. I haven't been there yet, but uh, I want to be a part of it and cool things on display and and uh, more if not so much panels as just events and entertaining uh, things to attend. Uh, what about you, Thomas? Yeah, I'm very similar. I envision sort of a Renaissance fair that feels very in world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like for a Game of Thrones convention, there's got to be a real special hook there. And I think it comes from the interactivity and things like that. And you know what? I'm actually with you. I'm not a huge panels person, but if I had to pick one panel that I'd want to see at a Game of Thrones convention, it would be uh, Elio Garcia and uh, Linda, Lin, was it Linda mm-hmm. Antonson? Mm-hmm. The ones who helped George with all the continuity stuff. Yeah. Be a very, very interesting listen. And, you know, especially for the fans that want to go up and ask George questions that stump him, you're not going to stump those two. That'd be fascinating. That'd be amazing. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But again, more, more interactivity, you know, again, I'd love to see a joust. Like you said, I think that'd be a lot of fun. You could even do something with foam swords and white walkers. You know, there's a, there's a lot of opportunity for fun and interactivity within a game of Thrones convention. Yeah. That's kind of the San Diego comic-con is so uh, crazy. Thomas, I don't think you've had a a chance to go to San Diego, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it's so big and there's so many people and, it's, and, and the floor is interesting, but you know, you, you, you cramp shoulder to shoulder. It's the stuff around it. It's the community. And I think that's probably the best thing about Con of Thrones, having not attended, attended it before I got to assume it, where you were around like-minded, passionate fans, Star Wars Celebration obviously comes to mind. That is the true draw more than anything that goes on there. And I'm sure Mark's having a great time and hopefully telling people about Casterly Talk. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think, uh, to me, that's, the true uh, important part of of uh, these big conventions finding yeah, we, your fu- finding your friends exactly and we, we go to them for experiences and and to go there for the experience of meeting new friends or finding friends you're you're whether you're friends online or you know each other personally you know there's there's a real experience um, aside from you know the the con invented experiences things like we just talked about there's a real experience just in the idea of going with people that you care about or people that share that similar love for a property as you. And it's like you said, with galaxy's edge, there's no, I haven't been there yet either, but there's this idea of everyone is so happy because they get to go in and see something they never thought they'd see. Mm -hmm. You know, my idea, I'd love to walk in and sit down and have a feast in the world of game of Thrones. Yeah. How much fun would that be? I wouldn't want eel pie, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's fun. Like, Thinking back a couple of years ago when I was still working for Collider, we went down and we did the Game of Thrones experience uh, that was during the middle of season seven. It was a weird spot because episode one and two had already aired, I think. 
Um, and they had that wonderful display, and it's official. And they come down, and they got the um, you know the the the, ch- the Iron Thrones there, and they got the the chair of the throne at Dragonstone, and then they got my favorite thing. The, my favorite thing was the painted table, and I just could have spent hours in front of it. Um, that was more fun. Not just the, and it's not about the photo opportunity because they had some fun things. You could sit there while everyone chanted uh, "King of the North" or "Queen of the North," all that stuff. But to actually sit sit in front of the painted table and just feel as though I was Stannis. <laughs> of course, I'd go there. Um, yeah. You might go another spot. Uh, some of you might want to be Danny, but just standing in front of it, going, "Ah, I feel like I'm in it." That that's very exciting for me as a fan. Yeah, and I'd, I'd very much love the opportunity to do a, you know, a grim Stannis scowl and, and <laughs> march my way up to the uh, the painted table and and even have some sort of like, you know, I grew up playing Risk. Yeah. So how cool would it be, you know, if they cycle people through every 20 minutes to play small games of, of strategic combat on the painted table? There you go. I like that. Oh, man. Those types of experiences. Speaking, uh, speaking to my heart there. All right. Uh, we got another call here uh, from our friend Jay over to Amateur Dad. So let's hear what he's got to say. Hey, Ken, I thought I'd give you a little bit of a different question this week and have a creative one for you. If you wanted to or if you could create a house sigil for House Knapsack, what would it be? What would your house colors uh, be? What would you select? What animal would you select? Or would it be an object? You know, would it be a microphone for all your podcasting? Who knows? Also, what would the house words, uh, what house words would you choose? I'm not sure the house words for my own, but perhaps a Jasper on a field of black, red, and silver for myself. And uh, just wondering your thoughts and anybody else who would want to chime in at uh, the hashtag Hashterly Talk. I love that. I love that he's, uh, he's, he's getting the shout out and how to interact on Twitter down. Hashtag Hashterly Talk. All right, Thomas. House Rizzling is what you got to work with. I got House Knapsack. And I, I, I like his idea there that I might have a microphone. That would make sense. It's a passion of mine. Um, I was thinking of my house words might be ours is the McFlurry, and I would just have a, a thing of McDonald's ice cream on a, on a shield. But I, I, I think I might have to go with, uh, with a microphone. I like that idea. I can't move away from it. But the background, I'm trying to think, you know, if, is it like a starburst? It's definitely not... Melisandre's not in my life, you know, so I don't have a flaming microphone. Um, but maybe I love pine trees. Maybe a, a, I, I love a nice casual hike. So maybe a microphone and a, and a, and a vista of, of mountains. And uh, I'll think of my house words. Why, what's your sigil? I can, I can see that. So I think for me, I'd, I'd probably do something like a... Um Oh, two two color background. So you'd have a, a lower field of blue with the upper part being red, and you'd have mm-hmm. a, a white sturgeon kind of coming yeah. out of the blue over the red. Nice. Uh, um, uh, my family's been involved with um, a charity work around uh, white sturgeon in the Fraser River here, so it's it's something that's always been close to me. There you go. So that's kind of the animal I've always wanted to use for that, and they're also a beautiful fish with these weird spikes all over them. So it also Ooh. looks mildly sinister on a, <laughs> on a sigil. Yeah. And as far as words, you know. <laughs> I, I really have no idea what the words would be. Yeah. Uh, we do not suck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. Mine would have to be uh, uh, nap and relax or 
Ours is the relaxation, something like that. Um, uh, being silly, of course, but it would have to work. It would have to work in those times. Um, and as I, I definitely a nice forest green over a, a black, 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 and something are definitely my colors. Uh, I always have uh, some sort of black on and a, and, a, and a purple shirt or a pink shirt or a green shirt or purple shoes or something. So maybe a nice lavender would work as well. Uh, but I like your colors too. Yeah, it sounds great. I've, I, I've kind of cheated a little bit i've used this before for a game of thrones role play well <laughs> uh, that's not cheating man you you already have the answer you yeah. know i don't <laughs> i should have come up with words words yeah. you gotta you gotta you gotta complete your words uh maybe out there if you're listening what what are uh, house Rizzling's words what are house knapsack's words uh, i do want to know uh it might be uh something related to 7-eleven as well i i I can totally respect that so thanks for that call jay from amateur dads thank you mark uh attending con of thrones out there in nashville which is one of my favorite cities in uh america i do want to get back there so uh thomas we're almost uh, done here wrapping on up but uh it's an interesting time as we head into san diego comic-con next week at the time of this recording could be some information dropping, could not, but then it could be like this, Entertainment Weekly. This was kind of a out of nowhere. Here's a tidbit of information. Uh, we're in that period of time where this is going to start coming. Yeah, it makes me wonder if, you know, maybe maybe George being whatever level of involvement he has, it seems fairly minimal, but whatever level of involvement he has, who knows? Maybe he's just going to keep kind of dropping little tidbits like this here and there, if uh, regardless of whether we get something at San Diego Comic-Con or not. Absolutely. And, and a final point on that, I, I absolutely love that George is involved with this on any level. It's more than just a stamp of approval, but it shows how much he cares about this world uh, that he created and it, how he still wants to be in charge of it. And and I he could have said, uh, great, uh, I'm, I'm going to finish the books and do other things. HBO, you develop these shows. But he had a hand in, in all, what, four or five or, or even more of the projects that were out there. Uh, they could still somehow see the light of day. Who knows? But I love, I love that he's there, you know? Yeah, and I, I love that Douglas Adams mentality of, hey, why do the same thing twice? Yeah. You know, if I can be involved and answer some questions in a different way or do it maybe, you know, uh, a way that I thought of, of after the fact that might have been more suitable. You know, I'm very yeah. excited for that. Absolutely. Me too. More stuff is coming. Thomas, uh, we're almost out of here, but I want the folks to know where they can listen to you because you have uh, your show, your rumination show. Uh, we'll get some uh, ruminations uh, from the realm uh, here again on Cassidy Talk shortly. Uh, and you and I are working on some stuff, getting our schedules in line to have uh, some different kind of episodes here in Cassidy Talk, more deep dives into history and everything. Uh, but where can they find everything you do? Yeah, so you can find me on the Ruminations podcast on Anchor and on about uh, eight other platforms, all the major ones. Uh, on Ruminations, I kind of discuss all things nerdy, and then I'll dive into some deeper, more personal subjects with close friends and uh, and acquaintances and family members, things like that. You can also find me on Twitter at Thomas Wrestling, and that's pretty much it. Absolutely. Sometimes you might hear us call him Sir Thomas at all because that is the name that he once had, and I love it to this day. So, Thomas, thank you. We love having you on here on Casterly Talk. We'll hear from uh, him uh, again shortly. And uh, the other uh, players of this show, Lon Harris, Rachel Cushing, Andres Cabrera, you can find and follow them. And uh, they'll be back on the show soon. I knew this was going to be a little bit of a downtime. we got a lot of stuff going on in our lives individually. Rachel recently moved. Lon Harris is cranking out some uh, screen junkie stuff as they start to head to Comic-Con. And Andres has got a lot going on with his podcast, The Meaning Of, with Robert Butler the third, but don't worry, it's not just going to be me. 
a lot of voices coming in here, and I got some guests I'm trying to get into. Uh, but everything, a lot of their life is divided into pre and post Comic Con for a lot of people in my business. So stay tuned. More's coming. You can follow me at Ken Knapsack and go to kennapsack.com for information on all the things I do. And you can also pick up a copy of my book, Why We Love Star Wars. It's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, IndieBound, Target.com, and a lot of places where books are sold. So that is it for now. We'll see you on Casterly Talk. Thank you.